Avalara proudly sponsors this podcast series about accountants by accountants and featuring some of the best thought leaders in the industry. Thank you to our sponsor, Avalara. Avalara's award-winning tax automation solutions help accounting practitioners and businesses of all sizes simplify sales tax compliance with real-time rates, automated returns filing, and more. Learn more at avalara.com. Hey everyone, this is Laura Lynn and you're listening to the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly Accounting Podcast. More accountants than ever are experimenting and shaping our profession in new and interesting ways. On this show, I sit down with these rock stars to discuss the ideas, the opportunities, the struggles, and the strategies that they're taking advantage of so the rest of us can do the same. Accountants can earn free CPE credit from listening to this podcast. Just download the Earmark CPE app in the App Store or visit EarmarkCPE.com. Hello, everyone. It is Laurelyn Wilson, and this is another episode of the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly Accounting Podcast. This week's guest is Gabby Luma. She founded Mod Ventures in 2004 in her living room so she could spend more time with her family, which, of course, as a mother, I relate to on a visceral level. And her service offerings range from accounting compliance to CFO, controller level advisory services. So Gabby, you had some, you've done some things, you've been a part of some councils, which out of like in your professional career, like your credentialed, you both have a CPA and uh, what's the, what do the other letters stand for? (laughs) (laughs) A CG, it's a CGMA. It's a chartered global managerial accountant. So, oh, very cool. Cool. Okay. So out of all those things and the credentials and the things you've been a part of over your career, what are you most proud of? What? Oh, gosh. I I think that it's been amazing to be a part of the AICPA and really supporting um, the PCPS um, part of the AICPA. And now I'm part of uh, Digital CPA, the conference itself, and and being a part of the CAS workshop, um, the roadmap wor- workshop has been just like one of the biggest highlights of my career to really help other practitioners implement the CAS roadmap into their firms and help them be successful in in starting that out and in, in really working that into their firm. So that's been so, so powerful for me. Um, just feeling like you know, giving back to the community and being a part of this industry has been um, so fulfilling and so rewarding. It's just, it's so much fun every time I get to meet new practitioners. And so, yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun and, and, and a highlight to my career. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. So if you started your firm then back in 2004, what services were you delivering at that point? Were you like one of these very, very early cloud adopters? Were you in that cast model? What were you doing? No, you know, we started very traditionally. It was mainly um, tax work. I was helping with small book, small accounting, you know, bookkeeping, that sort of thing, and training people on QuickBooks. It was it was very simple, pretty straightforward. And again, you know, it was just kind of like, Oh, well, I'll do some work on the side and see how things go. And then, 
And then we hit 2007 and, and we get an office and things grow. And I would say that we were pretty traditional until probably about 2014 when we started launching the full accounting services. And when I say full accounting, it really started with working with Bill.com and being able to do accounts payable for our clients remotely. So that was really our big launch into what we would call CAS advisory services. Mm-hmm. When, okay, so you're referring to a partner. Who's your partner and have they been with you from the start? No, no. My business partner um, actually was hired, I think it was 2012 now. Yeah, she just celebrated 10 years. So Larissa Cooper, she's also a CPA um, and she's been my partner probably for the last, I would say, seven years. And she, she and I built this CAS advisory practice and she's definitely my right hand. Great, great partner for me. When you started in 2004, did you have any type of long-term vision in the sense that, you know, in the moment you're like, I just need work that I can do and also be with my family, be with my kids, drive them to all the activities, which I spend on average 16 hours a week doing. Yeah. Um, but did were you did you ever imagine that you would be where you are today with it? No, no, I, I had no idea. You know, really, my goal was to make like five hundred dollars more a month for my family. You know, my husband's working. We were, you know, busy enough with all of the family things that I was just like pretty satisfied with. Hey, let's see if this works. And so I had no entrepreneurs really in my family, and so I didn't know what it would look like to work for yourself. You know, I worked with business owners, but I will say that a good portion of what I learned in the first two to three years were from those business owners that I worked with. So they didn't know it, but they were mentoring me. And I actually had a phone call or actually a meeting with a paychecks rep. And he asked me, how many clients do you want? And that was the first time I actually started putting together a plan. (laughs) It was all new, all scratch. I had no idea what I was doing. And um, yeah, so now now things are completely different, of course, but um, it just goes to show you, you don't really have to have a plan to begin with. You just get started sometimes. What do you think then, where was, was there a specific moment in your business growth where kind of it shifted into something more concrete versus like you're figuring things out the first couple of years? Like when was that big, when did that big shift happen? Well, because I started the firm when in 2004 when my daughter was born, I really had to get past the first couple of years and and you know, she could she didn't need me quite as much, you know. So so 2 3 um so I would say 2006 2007 it started getting more serious and I moved to an office because I was having people call me and ask for services and I didn't know them and they were coming into my house. So I was like, eh, I don't know these people." You know, and they're coming in during the day. Nobody's there except for me and Brooke. And so I was like, okay, it's time to start thinking about an office and where I can meet clients and and have a professional conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Not on your living room couch with your toddler running around and spilling Cheerios everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. Like I, I have very fond memories, you know, and and some of my my clients that I, I still have today. They, they remember Brooke in a carrier and, you know, she just was, she, she was there. She was always with mom. And so, you know, 
that was what my life was like. And my clients were great to, you know, accept that and grow with me. So, so then, so this is like 2004, 2007. These are the very early days of social media. I was in college at this time, but I remember this is when MySpace comes out. This is when Facebook comes out. How were you at that time? How were you growing? Was there any utilization of a web presence or was it all just kind of word of mouth? Um, yeah, I started my social media journey really in 2009. Um, so the early days were really word of mouth referral and we had a home association and I just put my name in the home association newsletter and it went out to all the homes, you know, and then I had, I have an older daughter. She was seven, seven, eight at the time. And we would go out and just put flyers indoors. <laughs> I mean, really, my family was out there doing that on Sundays, you know, just like, yeah. oh, let's get mom more business. So, you know, and and I would say that's probably how I made my first 75000 of business. It was all like just, you know, letting people know that I do the work. And so it's kind of funny. Boots on the ground. Were you now yeah. were you paying your kids and income and then contributing that to a Roth? I had no idea what that even meant. <laughs> right. <So> no. <laughs> I'm so mad at my parents still for not doing that for me. I'm like, I could have a million already in my Roth account if my parents were paying me when I was 12. <laughs> I know. I know. But yeah, these these are the early days when, you know, I, I really didn't have a whole lot of extra cash to, you know, figure that out. And, you know, by the time you purchased your software and your equipment and all the things that you had to do... There, you know, wasn't a whole lot left over, but um, it was fun. It was, I learned a lot. I learned a lot those first, I would say, four to five years. It was eye-opening how much you have to um, handle as a small business owner. Avalara helps businesses of all sizes get indirect tax compliance right. Their sales tax solutions help you manage sales and use tax complexities while lessening risk for your business and clients. Whether you're a small business or a global enterprise, Avalara can help you deliver tax compliance services confidently and efficiently. Over 30,000 organizations across the globe use Avalara's cloud-based compliance solutions to solve transaction tax compliance needs, including sales and use, VAT, and other direct and indirect taxes. Okay, so let's fast forward to 2022. All right, you have your firm, it's rocking and rolling. So tell me a little bit just about like the makeup of your firm. Like what kind of industries do you work with? What's the average size? Do you have employees? Just give me the 10,000 foot view. So we are still doing accounting and bookkeeping and we have another, so we call that write-up work. That's one area of our business. And then we have the CAS practice and then we have the tax practice. So um, those are like the three areas that we focus on. And then we have a few industries that we work with more specifically. We have quite a few nonprofits that we love working with. We have the medical industry where it could go from a medical device type of company all the way into health and wellness, you know, massage therapists and such. So we have a wide variety of medical, and then we have just small business in general. And those are varied. They could be small retail sellers on the internet or larger construction companies, HVAC companies, you know, construction. So 
we have a wide variety of of clients that we still are accepting. Are you, is there a specific kind of client avatar you go after? Like if you could just have this one type of client industry size, what, what does that look like? Well, I would say that nonprofits, um, because of the the work that we do and helping them with segregate duties and, you know, we're remote and we just are able to really dive deep. A client in that nonprofit realm is probably about a million dollars in size when they start looking at, you know, I, I need to go through an audit and things like that. So, you know, that's a huge next step that usually we're a great fit for. And I'll, again, I would say the medical industry, we have very good um, track record with some longstanding clients that started even, you know, before CAS was a thing in 2011. And we've grown with them, gosh, like I said, about 11 years. And, you know, we've gone through investors, we've gone through handling cap tables, not just the day-to-day accounting, which we're doing. But on top of that, the really heavy reporting that's needed when you start having investors and then auditors and things like that. So we've been very successful in that realm. Um, and referrals have come from that success um, over and over. So it's it's been a good niche for us. And how, how many employees do you have? We have 18 employees. Um, and then we have about four contractors that work various part-time positions. Do you, because I'm always curious internally how firms do this, do you segment like by task, by industry? How do you break up the work? Yeah, so our CAS team only works on CAS work, so client advisory work. And then our write-up team only works on write-up work. So, you know, there are two different types of services. Um, so we we don't combine. And then same with our tax team. Our tax team works on tax. They do not do CAS work. Or accounting work, for that matter. <laughs> so <laughs> we—that's incredibly, incredibly efficient of you. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, the thing is, is that when you start putting clients into the CAS framework, you know, write-up client is completely different from you know what that CAS framework looks like. And so, you know, our staff are trained to perform and do things differently for a CAS type of client. Um, those are high value clients that are paying us quite a bit of money. So the response and the and the need is much higher. And so we're their day-to-day finance team, whereas write up is is maybe a monthly task. So that's completely different. And so we've separated that out. Nice. Okay. <laughs> so when I was like poking through your website, doing a little pre-interview stalking, gathering data. <laughs> One thing I noticed in your bio that kind of stood out to me was that you refer your, to yourself as a coaching your clients. So what does that, like, what does that mean to you and how does that different than, say, being an advisor? Well, I think it's very, very similar in, you know, advisory, but sometimes you got to do a little bit of coaching to help people see the best options available for them. You know, you're advising them, but you're also coaching them along the way. Um, And some folks do not know how to actually implement. And I think that's where the coaching comes in. It's like, okay, this is how you implement this type of plan. Let's, you know, work together to make sure that this happens. So, you know, advisory is can be very hands off where you're, you know, just tell them advice and then they're supposed to go implement. 
<laughs> Good luck. Yeah. Hope you're successful. <laughs> exactly. And and lots of times you can give advice and people will just sit on it. And then you ask them why haven't they implemented? And it's because they don't even know where to begin. So Ooh. that's the thing is like you have to really be helping them become successful in the advice that you're actually providing them. Ooh. So I think that's the biggest difference when you're talking to small business owners. They have a lot on their plate. They need help when figuring out how to do things, you know? So, yeah. So it sounds like then what I'm hearing is the difference between advisory and coaching is coaching adds another layer of accountability into it Mm -hmm. that advising doesn't. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Right. I mean, why would you want to provide advice if it was never going to get implemented? Right. It's just, you know, it's going to be successful. You know, it's going to be good. You just, they just need a little bit of extra help. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then in coaching these clients, because obviously there's two pieces then, there's both the data piece and then the implementation piece. So let's talk about the data piece a little bit, specifically for you. And if you want to, you can isolate kind of one industry or you can talk about broadly about across your clients because it might be broad across your clients, but mm-hmm. kind of on the data side, the meaningful metrics. So I think this would probably apply more to your cast clients who you're kind of doing that day-to-day financial stuff mm-hmm. with. So meaningful metrics. So have you found the need to evolve what metrics are meaningful from an accountant's perspective versus a client's perspective? Because we know what we think is important, but that not always is important to a client. So how do you kind of bridge that gap? How do you figure out what numbers matter to both of us that we should be reporting on? I mean, that's a good question. And I think, yes, you're right. It, it varies by industry. But I mean, a really good example is, you know, you have doctors that you're working with and let's say um, your cash has slowed down to you know, very, very low. And you have to start understanding, well, what is happening with the billing? And and then know that what their average billing rate, you know, as far as like collections are, what's their average days in collection? And so, you know, there there's ways to work backwards with this where doctors don't even know. So it's like educating them that this information is available and then saying, okay, well, you're supposed to collect on the the these services within 34, 35 days. And if something slowed down, something happened 34 to 35 days ago that will have impacted that cash flow. What was it? And so a lot of it's educating the client because they they don't know these things. And so talking about, you know, days and collections, a big one and, you know, different types of services that they're providing and what areas should they double down in? What is more profitable? These are the areas that they're relying on us to give them feedback on so that they can do their work better. Mm -hmm. Have you found that there are, like, let's just say people in your health industry, are there kind of baseline metrics where you just use with everyone or is it pretty tailored depending on what the business is doing? Um, it really depends on the business, I would say specifically. I mean, yeah, with our medical practices, they're also different, that it's sometimes difficult to even go to, let's say, ProfitSense and pull a report specific on their NAX code. Sometimes that's difficult to do. Sometimes it's difficult to go to even the industry specific organizations because, you know, 
typically they'll have metrics for them. So we've had to go just case by case with our clients and determine what was their normal, like what was their normal process and what did that look like? And then develop metrics specific for them. That's worked best for us. But yeah, I mean, there are set metrics, right? Profitability, gross profit, you know, things like that, that are across the board, things that you're going to be looking at. Um, AR turnover, inventory turnover, things like that. How often are you, what's your cadence on the meetings you're having talking about these things? Is this weekly, biweekly, monthly? Um, generally, it's a on a monthly basis that we are, you know, we get together with our clients and and have those conversations. But, you know, when you're talking cash flow management, then that's usually on a biweekly or even sometimes a weekly basis, depending on, you know, how big of a cash crunch they're in at the time. And so I've noticed that, you know, if they're in a really tough place for as far as cash flow, you have to do those meetings more regularly just because, mm-hmm. you know, you got to watch it more closely. So... Yeah. So do clients here, I'm always curious about this. Do clients come to you knowing they have this issue and know what to ask for? Or do you have to kind of read between the lines and be like, this is the service you need from us? Like how educated are they on their problem when they come to you? Um, you know, it just depends on sometimes the size of the client and, and the level of business savvy that that they're coming with. You know, we'll have clients who are like, I'm doing this cash flow forecasting in an Excel spreadsheet and, you know, I'm doing all these things. It's taking me forever to do. Can you help me? Right. So you, you have that side where they're they're pretty savvy. And then you have others who are like have no clue where to begin. They just know that they don't have money. That's, you know, they're like, I don't have money. Why don't I have money? So <laughs> so then we have to go through the analysis and, you know, help them understand where all the money is going. And it's it's funny because there's a big difference between profit and cash flow. And I think that's the, one of the things that's, a, you know, it's just a huge disconnect for clients. Mm-hmm. When you, okay, so you said when you do this analysis to figure out what's going on, do you have an internal like set of processes you follow like one, two, three, four to do the analysis that like you could drop any worker into and they could do that? Or what does that analysis look like? No, generally we um, have our controllers work on that type of analysis, you know, and it's comparison, looking at previous year versus this year, um, just digging in much deeper into the books and then seeing, you know, like what are the differences is, you know, if we have revenue drop, what do we, why, what happened with the revenue and things like that. So digging in much deeper to all the different levels and it's very accountant type, you know, (laughs) we're looking at variances and we're trying to understand what happened. So that's a lot of, you know, conversations and talking to um, not just the owner, but sometimes their leadership team. Um, I just had a meeting with a client and went and talked to their finance director, went and talked to their general manager, talked to their internal accountant, and try to understand all the different components and what each person is doing to understand why cash flows in a funk. And so, you know, it's just seeing who you need to talk to and figuring out why. And then, you know, next steps. Are there, what kind of special tools or tech are you using for running this analysis? 
Well, the initial interviews are are really just from, let me talk to you from an intuitive standpoint. So I'm interviewing, I'm talking to them, finding out what's next, you know, what do I need to look at? Then I'm looking at the financials. And then we have tools that we're using for cash flow. It's um, cash flow tool we use. We also use Giraffe for various things. So it just depends on the level and size of the client, um, which tool we're going to pick. And sometimes it's just a matter of even going into our QuickBooks and just doing variance analysis. Could be done very easily. You know, set aside a half hour and, and really dig into a few figures and then start asking more questions. Did you know that 52% of accounting practitioners, large and small, still rely on spreadsheets and manual processes for sales tax compliance? Why not move your accounting practice to the 21st century using Avalara for Accountants? The Avalara for Accountants automation platform helps accounting service providers of any size grow their service offerings with sales tax prep and filing, transfer pricing, research, business license management, and more. Scale your practice efficiently with award-winning automation that brings efficiency and accuracy to sales tax compliance. Want to learn more? Email accountants at avalara.com or visit avalara.com. I'm always curious about this with business owners and particularly firm owners is how much of the services you provide for other people, kind of like that deep level analysis, cash flow management, do you do for yourself at your own firm? <laughs> it's a really good question. Every time I try out a new tool, we we try it first and then we launch it with other clients. Um, we do not usually do anything for our clients that we're not going to do for ourselves. And so that's been just one of my philosophies from the beginning. And especially, gosh, years ago, you know, there's like try out zero, try out QuickBooks online, do, you know, wave, do, you know, all these different solutions that are out there. And I just didn't feel comfortable launching anything until I actually used it for myself. And so that has been kind of my philosophy and it's been successful. So I'm going to keep to it. (laughs) Have you, um, here's some accountability. Are your firm books up to date right now? 100%. Good for you. Why <laughs> not? not? We had we had our cash flow meeting yesterday, and we are on track. So that's yeah. And I th- I I think when you start to have these types of conversations with your clients, it does hold in a whole another level of accountability. You know, you you cannot be, or at least for me, you know, I I integrity wise, I can't expect other people to do it if I'm not, and I can't hold them accountable if I'm not doing it. So I think that's part of my own philosophy that I've just followed. Yeah. I recently just launched a um, like online community group for micro business owners with like a couple live streams per week, like live Q and A's. But one of the live streams I'm doing every week just to hold myself accountable, I don't care if anyone shows up, is a let's sit down and do our our accounting together. Quietly. We're all on mute, but it's just a blocked out time. We're all on a Zoom together just updating our books. Yes. (laughs) I mean, I think that's so effective. Um, you know, and that's, that's what we do in our firm too, because we're all remote and like, sometimes we just, you know, I cannot get this done. I need you to sit over there. You don't need to say anything. I just need to be like held accountable to sit here and do it. 
So it's, <laughs> it's a very powerful tool. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Well, circling back to cash, because like I was just talking with a client the other day and the same word kept coming up again and again and again in regard to their cash situation. And it was, I'm afraid, I'm afraid, I'm afraid, I'm afraid because we didn't have there was no data yet. We had no handle on his cash situation, yeah. which was why he was so afraid. But mm-hmm. I like to say, I don't like to say cash is king because I'm like, that's sexist. I'm yeah. like, what about women? So I say, I like to say cash is fact. And as you mentioned earlier, there is that piece and that education piece about teaching clients there's profit and there's cash. And yep. those, I mean, they're related, but they can vary wildly. So what mm-hmm. have you found in your experience is the hardest part about educating clients about that difference? Well, you know, everyone thinks that if you looked at a P&L, that's good. That they're all good. And I think that's that's been the messaging of probably tons of consultants and advisors over years and years and years, right? They just haven't really focused on it's the balance sheet and the P&L balance sheet and PL. But business owners aren't making the connection that, you know, you have debt payments in there, you have draws or distributions, you have, you know, are you buying fixed assets? There's a lot of things that affect your cash flow that they're not realizing. Or, you know, maybe slow collection AR, things like that. And so I think those are the disconnects, you know, and there's like you can count them on your hands. Those are the disconnects that clients don't understand when it comes to cash. So I think mm-hmm. that's our, it, it's important for us to be educating that um, so that they can, I mean, really cash flow is the biggest thing that puts business owners out of business. You can have a profit, but if you have no cash, it makes no difference. There's a crazy statistics. I think it's over like 50% of businesses that go out of business are profitable on mm-hmm. paper. On the PL, they're showing a profit, but yeah, they have no cash. And so right. <laughs> they okay. go out of business. Um, yeah. does, does this then education on cash? Because, like, honestly, every business owner needs to understand their cash. Mm-hmm. Um, do Does that educational piece start with clients at a certain level? Like, do your write up work clients get any, even if it's like, I passive type content where it's like, here's an article about cash. Here's a little webinar I created. Like, how do you, how does that differ between your different client levels? Yeah. So I'll say for sure, you know, our cash clients get the majority of the, you know, attention. Our bigger clients have been getting cash flow work from us for years and years and years. Like, this is not something new. Um, but I think that one of the things that, you know, we are working on and we'll be launching in November. I actually just put it out in my newsletter, is offering that cash flow analysis or help or support to everyone. And for us to do that, we really had to productize, productize the work, the service, in order to make it really effective and efficient so that we could deliver it at, you know, a reasonable cost that's going to make, you know, a difference in their business. So that that's something that I think we we want to do is provide that to everyone. But yeah, for the main part, I I've, I think most of our bigger clients have, have just saw the value in it earlier on and, and have been able to use it. Do you have like a framework you follow when you're recommending strategies to clients for managing cash? Like 
we start with revenue streams, then we move to expenses, then we look at debt burden. Like, is there any type of like kind of written out or is it more nuanced and organic as you're advising with a client? No, I think we always start with the basics. I mean, that's the first thing, right, is really determining, you know, where the cash is coming from and where is it going? And again, this is stuff that we are having to look at in our own businesses. You know, are we still using software that really needs to be, you know, discontinued? Yes. I mean, we have like five on our books that we need to close out. You know, like there's there's so much that needs to be looked at um, in the beginning, especially. You know, and then I think probably in, you know, when you're six weeks in, you start to really narrow down to the areas that can, that are costing you the most. Like, what, where is your cash really going? Then you start putting together strategy. But I think you have to really get it deeper into analysis and go, yeah, are we really utilizing all these expenses the way that we should be? Is revenue high enough? Are we pricing things correctly? You know, it's, it's a mixture of things. So I, I think it's different per client based on your analysis. How far along were you in your business before you started offering kind of these upper level analysis, forecasting, cash management services? Oh, good. Oh, I think that we really got super serious about it in um, 2000, I would say 18. And we've gotten better at automating it and making it even more smooth um, for our larger clients over the years and probably put the most resources in, I would say, in 2021, 2020 and 2021 to really up-level our staff. And even this year, we're training, we're teaching controllers what they need to do, um, how they need to do it. And as I, as I mentioned before, productizing it so that it's, it's easy to, to deliver. So I am, you know, of course, such a evangelist for forecasting and yeah. cash flow management. Cash control is what I call it, because sometimes that's an easier phrase for clients to understand. Oh, I need to control my cash. Yeah. How, like, what's the vibe with your clients right now with the downturn of the economy? Because you're doing kind of this analysis, you're looking out. Are your clients, like, is there bad things on the horizon? Are there good things on the rise horizon? Like in general with your clients, how are things looking in this economy? You know, I think I'm really fortunate in that, you know, we went through the pandemic with a good majority of these clients and, you know, we were there to support them and help them through and there was definitely a little bit of panic. And I think that puts things in perspective when you have a recessionary type period. You know, what's the worst that it could be? Well, you have to completely shut down your whole company and have no money coming in. <laughs> mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I'm not seeing a lot of, I mean, they're a little nervous, but I am not seeing the amount of fear that we saw during the pandemic. Um, so I think that everybody is starting to realize that, hey, you know, there's ups and downs and we just need to manage our cash and, you know, really be careful in what we invest in and just keep moving forward. So I'm I'm grateful that we were there for them and now they're coming to us for even more advice. So... 
Do you think it's easier to sell those types of services, or I should say, display the value behind those services post-COVID? It's a good question. That's another good question. (laughs) (laughs) You're full of good questions. Um, (laughs) No, I, I think, you know, the clients that are here and receiving those types of services understand the value. Um, they know that what we've done for them. I think having a conversation with potential clients is a little bit different because they've not experienced what my clients currently have experienced. And so, you know, communicating, you know, what our clients are saying to us is super important, helping them understand that we have a plan and that we we know what we're doing <laughs> is, 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 you know, I think people are definitely you know a little more skittish to make a decision but i think once they understand the value and what you're doing then it's a great relationship you know going forward but you definitely have to monitor buyer's remorse and make sure that nobody is upset or sad that they made that investment (laughs) so you know have a good onboarding you know procedure and and really walk them through every step so that they're happy. Yeah. What's interesting to me, because I actually have, so I have another company outside of my accounting firm, Mm -hmm. which I have with, do you know, Kathy Gregory? She's with LivePlan for years. She's pretty, like she was uh, the head of the accountants channel there. So I know a lot of accountants know her. So it's like her and her husband are my partners. And so Kathy, like, developed a lot of the content at LivePlan, which was all around forecasting. And it's like the problem that businesses run into is the businesses that need it the most are the ones who can't afford it. You know, they're the ones with the smallest margins. They're the ones really like, this is all my money. This is what's feeding my family. So that product you referenced earlier about cash management that you're going to roll out to kind of these more write-up type clients, do you feel like that addresses that issue? Like this is going to bridge the gap. This is going to get you that knowledge you need because you need to know this. And even though you can't afford us to do it for you, we're empowering you to do it yourself. Or what does, what does that product look like? Yeah, no, it's still, we're still doing the work. And so there, there's, um, there's partnership in it so that they're not on their own. I think asking like our write-up clients to do one more thing is probably not on their list of things to do, but they want it. Like they need it. They know they need it. So it's trying to find that right value. And you're right. It's the ones that have the least amount of cash are the ones that probably need this more than ever. Um, so it's it's really helping them understand that by having this data, this information, they can be more successful. They're going to be able to hone in on things a little bit better. So, you know, I'm a small business. I can't make you know, $100,000 investment in, you know, all kinds of things either. So I have to be careful what, how I manage my, my money. And so I think that I can re- relate really well to them. So if you can relate and empathize, empathize and know what problems they're really having, then they're going to understand that you can help them. So I think that's the biggest part. Yeah. If, okay, so between your write-up clients and your cast clients, are any of them poising themselves right now for growth? And then like, if they are, like, how do you engage with them in that growth? Like, how do you help them along with it? What do, what services do you provide that help them with that? 
Um, well, the growth and the scaling part is a hundred percent what we're, you know, working to work with all of our clients with. You know, if if we see some growth, and usually what happens with our write-up clients is like, you know, you go a quarter, you look at their financials and you're like, Whoa, what happened? You know, then it's just reaching out and going, Hey, what's going on here? You know, how can we help you? And it really is about paying attention to the numbers and seeing that, you know, there's something happening here. They're really motivated or something switched and they're ready to get going. So, you know, we have clients that come to us months ahead of time before they get going, which is great. Um, so we can plan and and move along. But the clients that have been right, right up clients of mine for years you know, they're they're kind of expecting us to go to them and go, hey, you know, we can help you with this or, you know, because that's been kind of our culture. Yes. You know, like, how can we help you more? Um, so generally, they know we're going to be coming to ask, like, hey, is there anything more we can do? How these days are you getting more clients? I'm going to just start asking this question to everyone because I'm curious. I'm like, how are different accountants marketing themselves? Because you said early on it was boots on the ground, child labor, organic. <laughs> yeah. 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 So I think, you know, one of the things for us, and and actually this is a big, big focus for us in, in the next I, – I, well, probably forever, um, you know, I had to kind of step back and really look at operations and make sure things were ready for us to be, um, to grow and scale. There were certain things that were, you know, we needed more structure. So, you know, we implemented EOS and we're really, you know, focused on that and holding each other accountable to certain results. So now that we have that in place, I really pulled out, pulled back from a lot of networking, being a part of groups and things like that, and and just a really just heads down on the business. Now I feel like we have a lot of things in place that, you know, I can go out and start networking and start building more of that type of referral relationships. But again, when I first started, that's all I, I did a bunch of that and the work and everything. So... <laughs> You know, and then we we scaled up and doubled in size. And there's something that happens when you double in size. And if you don't fix it, it will break. <laughs> so, yep. <laughs> so we broke a little bit. <laughs> and so, you know, I mean, just being honest, that it's it's hard to keep track of all that. So, you know, had to put my head down for a, a year or two, really. And the pandemic was was a whole nother story, right? So just a different focus, but I had to put my head down and now, you know, really focusing on networking, building those referral networks, just getting back into the community was going to be super important. What type of groups do you join for that? Like, are they just industry groups or where do you go? Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, if you want to work with small business owners that are, you know, up and coming, you'll find some networking groups that will really benefit you. I'm part of a group in um, Phoenix area that is all CEOs. And so it's part for my own growth, but it's also to get to know other CEOs that are out there and, you know, referrals and how do you help other people? Um, so there's that, you know, there's chambers, there's um, entrepreneurship groups, there's online groups. There's all kinds of ways to do networking, social media, LinkedIn, all of that. 
super powerful. You just have to put yourself out there. And I think that's, you know, for an introverted accountant, and I have become more introverted as I've gotten older. (laughs) I'm putting yourself out there. I want, I would love, I should do this on Twitter. I should run a poll and see how accountants self-identify if it's extroverted, introverted. I would say minimum 75% are probably going to say introverted. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, and those that are um, more extroverted are probably very successful in sales and, you know, do a really good job at communicating their value and, you know, everything that they do. But introverts can do very well with that too. So there's lots of training on introverts and sales now. <laughs> yes. Well, I call myself, I'm an outgoing introvert. Yeah. Like I can, you can put me in a social situation and I don't feel awkward. I'll strike up a conversation with anyone. But then by the time 9 p.m. strikes, like I, I need to be in bed. I need to be alone. I need complete silence. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that that happens, you know, it, <laughs> Just what we do, you know, it's like it's a brain switch. You know, you're going from really analytical work to being like super outgoing and fun. And there's, yeah, it's it's totally different. Two different brains. Totally. Oh, my gosh. I never <laughs> even thought. It's it's such an energy suck. Uh-huh. Like switching, turning this off, turning this on. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Uh, okay. So speaking of growth. And scaling because you're like, all right, we're going to start getting new clients. What's your end game? Like, is there a point where you're like, we're big enough, we're done? Is it revenue? Is it clients? Is it employee count? Is it take home? Or is it just get as big as I can and sell? Like, what's your end game with your firm? Um, Well, my partner and I have talked about this quite a bit. And, you know, we go back and forth. There's opportunities, you know, I know people in the industry. I've had conversations. People come to me all the time and say, hey, you know, would you think about becoming part of another, a a larger firm? And I am not ready to do that. I I know for sure I'm not ready to do that. So I know that's not on the list. So as far as growth is concerned on our own and what that looks like, it's scaling at a speed that my partner and I can plan for. Um, And that sounds very woo-woo, but it's, you know, non-concrete. But sure, I would love to be at 5 million in three years. You know, that's a big goal. That's what we would love to be. But we don't want to do it in a way that it breaks the firm or breaks our team. And so we have to be super or us. You know, she's just starting a family, actually. So she has a two-year-old and and she's having another baby. And so we have to be super respectful of what we want and um, what does Maud need? What do our staff need from us? And what do our clients need? And so super important that we do it in a way that that's, makes sense for us. Oh my gosh, I love that. That's such a holistic way to approach it because you're not just thinking of it from an owner's perspective. You're thinking of it is this good for the staff? Is this good for the clients? Is this good for, you know, all of us? Is this good for us three years from now, from now you know? Right. So oh, that's yeah. very cool. And I would say in the beginning, that wasn't my viewpoint. You know, like we, we were talking about social media in the beginning, like 2009 was, you know, 2009, 2010. And then 2012, we grew exponentially. I want to say probably 40%. 
And it was all social media, all SEO, all of that. Like I nailed it. It was awesome. <laughs> but it was also super hard to scale and, and the work that it took to get there. So I know that we have to manage that growth in a way that, that's going to be more effective and we still enjoy the life we have. Yes, absolutely. Well, speaking of social media, where is the best place to find and connect with you on social media? Well, I would say LinkedIn is a great way to connect with me, uh, Gabrielle Luma. And Instagram, I have, it's at I am Gabby Luma. And Mod Ventures is on Instagram as well and LinkedIn. So you can um, contact us there. And we have a small Facebook community. So we're on there as well. So those are our, our main stomping grounds. Nice. Well, thank you so much for coming on as a guest and having this really fun conversation. I appreciate it so much. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you to all the listeners who joined us this week. And I will see you again soon.